0: Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nikki, and I'm joined, as always, by the man who, on the last episode, we said, see you in Brussels, but we actually had a bit of a cock up because we forgot that we were actually recording this episode because we're banking it because we're going to be seeing you in Brussels Next episode. Next week. I've made an arse of that intro, but never mind. Uh, yeah, it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm, I'm well. Yeah, I'm good. Um... <laughs> good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, uh, it was just because I was editing Soft Top Hard Shoulder and it was like, see you in Brussels. And I was like, actually, we're recording today. So it's next weekend we're going to Brussels. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, good. I'm glad to hear you're well. What have you been up to?
1: Uh, Yeah, not a lot. Uh, No travel this week. Just uh, sort of dodging away here in Dubai. My daughter was playing with her band at the Emirates Literacy Festival today. So it was good to go and see her. Yeah, just... Had a few afternoon beers as one does on a Saturday, and looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to talking about Florence. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to talking about the lovely Florence
0: Pugh in her movie later on. Yes, uh, yeah, definitely a highlight of uh, of the movie. That's all I can basically say. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, good. Yeah, a few afternoon beers. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I will admit I've had a couple of afternoon <laughs> beers myself because I've I've been watching Aberdeen against Celtic. So uh, that's a spoiler alert of when we're <laughs> recording this. Um, but yeah. But it's all good. You can't go wrong with so that. So
1: this podcast could go either way. <laughs> it could be a glow, it could be a <laughs> rousing success or it could be the opposite.
0: <laughs> an unmitigated disaster. I mean, I was completely sober last episode when we were talking, and I was talking about getting my cock out a lot. So well, that's true, um, yeah. God knows. <laughs> so all bets are off today. Let's wait and see what happens. So <laughs> it could be an interesting episode. Uh, uh, okay. Well, actually, the big
1: news, I suppose, for the listeners is uh, the Culture Swally uh, boys are going to be back in Scotland in the summer. At the same time for the first time, in we for the first time in two years, yeah.
0: All confirmed. I was so delighted when I got your message yeah. to say that you were able to come. So, uh, yeah, we are going to be, uh, yeah, we're doing a little tour. Well, we're going to Edinburgh and Glasgow, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. We're off to go and see Suede and Manic Street Preachers at Edinburgh Castle, um, yeah. And we're hopefully going to catch up with a, a friend of the podcast as well. And we're going with our mutual friend, yeah. too, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it couldn't be better. Our,
1: our mutual friend who apparently is absolutely buzzing to go to the tenants tour at the Well Park Brewery in Glasgow. <laughs> I know
0: he you suggested that, I was like, that's a brilliant idea. I'd love that, but yeah, he didn't seem too keen. Yeah. So I poured cold water on it. Even even, even... I see you're pushing the point though, because you've mentioned it like three times since and I keep know. sending photos and stuff. So <laughs>
1: keep sending photographs of uh classic cans of tenants with lovely ladies on the side. <laughs> ah,
0: the lager love. Yeah, I should do a spin off (laughs) episode about them at one point. I wonder what's happened. They're probably all dead now. Um, Anyway, uh, okay, (laughs) right. Shall we have a look at what's been happening in the news in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Cue the jingle.
1: Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides
0: Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners?
1: Uh, Well, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing more gratifying than misfortune befalling a politician. When it's a Conservative politician, it's even more gratifying. So this story comes from the Scottish Sun uh, on the 31st of January. The headline is Turning the Air Blue. Douglas Ross, who is the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party, uh, called a fucking wanker live on Channel 4 News (laughs) as the host (laughs) is forced to apologise. The politician was speaking to news anchor Cathy Newman about... Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon's evidence session at the at the COVID nineteen inquiry, which has been going on uh, last week in Edinburgh, <laughs> a disgruntled driver honked their horn before they swore at the SNP why they was on air. Uh, D- Douglas Ross was in the middle of saying today this was appalling what we heard today that the Scottish government, but then a car began to honk and get louder. But Ross continues his speech, appearing unfazed as the driver screeches fucking wanker! (laughs) He added they were considering the implication of independence and getting into the EU when they were looking at a travel ban from Spain. Uh, The veteran broadcaster waited until Ross concluded his remarks on the SNP uh, before saying, apologies there, there was some bad language in the background. Not not from you, Douglas. Uh, Apologies to anyone who was offended. Ross made an, an awkward grimace before Newman pointed out he was shedding some tears due to standing out in the cold. But I think he was shedding <laughs> some tears because somebody called him a fucking wanker. <laughs> <laughs> as always, the artist formerly known as Twitter doesn't fail to let us down. Uh, somebody tweeted, or it's not, you don't tweet anymore, do you? you somebody x uh, footage of Douglas Ross getting a beautiful Edinburgh hello, Live on Channel 4 News tonight, the Scottish are unbeatable. That passerby is a top-tier legend. I want to buy my whiskey. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so that's uh, that's old Douglas Ross getting a bit of a roasting on Channel 4. Uh, Not
0: not by the news
1: anchor. Have you ever uh, shouted some abuse at somebody getting interviewed on the TV?
0: No, I've never shouted abuse at someone that's been interviewed live on TV. I've shouted abuse at people, but um, usually at football matches, or I think I mentioned before in the podcast, um, shouted abuse at Calvin Harris at a concert once. But, yeah, I don't know. Never anything, anyone being interviewed. You're kind of always wary of that. But that's the, I guess, the danger of like an outside broadcast or something because I remember they used to have obviously um like on transfer deadline day which is just past like Sky Sports News would always have like reporters outside grounds you'd always have fans behind them but they had to stop it because there was one year like someone had a blow up sex doll like behind them in the crowd and then someone had a big purple dildo that they stuck in the reporter's ear as he was trying to report on deadline so they stop that they don't do the outside broadcasts outside grounds anymore just on the basis of that because that's the the risk that you run but yeah i think i've heard of a few times of of this happening in terms of people shouting abuse and it being kind of caught live on tv
1: yeah you would sometimes see like when um when this morning was filmed at the albert docks in london and people could just like watch through the windows as Richard and Judy were doing their thing. You would like, get the guys like humping the glass or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It was always good during the school holidays because there'd be teenagers down there just giving the fingers to the <laughs> of direct would have to cut away to like Richard or uh, Judy really quickly like a sort of closer shot to cut the kid out in the
0: background. <laughs> I It was highlighted as well during um, like live football matches when COVID was on because there was obviously no crowd. Yeah. So you could hear everything the players were saying saying so the commentators were constantly having to apologize for the language because obviously you would just hear a player calling a you know a, another player a fucking cunt or you know, saying something and it was just having to constantly apologize but again yeah that's that's live
1: tv for you I remember, um, just remembered there, that like years and years and years ago, my um, pal had a WF video, and I think it was like it was a European tour, maybe like early '90s mm. European tour. And there was a match between um, Bret Hart and is it maybe maybe Superfly Jimmy Stuka, someone like that. And Bret Hart, mm. Bret Hart loses, and as he as he's kind of picking himself up off the canvas after the count, he really very very obviously. Mouths the word "fuck." <laughs> I remember me, my pal, being like absolutely <laughs> blown away by it. <laughs> we were, 13, <laughs> sort 14. Of thirteen, fourteen. Like the hitman just said "fuck," but
0: I thought this was all scripted. He must have known he was going to lose. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of belters that have come from wrestling. There was, um, there's a very famous one. It's like Sid Vicious. He uh, was Sid Justice at the time, mm. and he's delivering a promo to to Mean Gene Okerlund, and he messes it up and he stops and he just turns to him and he goes can we do that again and Gene's like uh we're live pal like (laughs) this is going out live (laughs) and he has to read Kind of stumble and pick up like, oh, pretending that he kind of wasn't um, just asked to start that interview again. Um, The most famous one, of course, involves Booker T and a promo against Hulk Hogan. But um, I'll let you look for that for yourself because I'm not going to explain what happens there. But uh, do we think were the the person's comments unjustified on Douglas Ross? Not at all. I mean, I think... I think they,
1: Billy Conley puts it better than anybody when he said that. I think it was in his um, an audience with back in the mid '80s. He said that the desire to be a politician should prevent somebody from ever being one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've got a lot of time for. Uh, the roasting, the public roastings of, of politicians. Yeah, and nobody, no, n- I'd agree with you on that. Nobody does it better than the people of Scotland. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, very true. Anyway, that's uh, poor old Douglas having a little cry in the side of the roads because uh, some Edinburgh kiwi called my wanker. What's um, what's your first story this week? Uh,
0: well, my first story, we're switching from Edinburgh to Glasgow. We've, we've done a couple of stories about Sotten Prison we um, have, yeah. in the past, um, but now we're going to Barlinny for our next story. Uh, so, the, when this episode goes out, it'll be just under a month since Burns Night. But this story, the, the headline is just wonderful, and the headline is Bam O'Shanter. And this is from The uh, Scottish Sun this week. Uh, a Barlinny Burns Supper. I'll Try saying that after you've had a couple of <laughs> beers. A Barlinny Burns Supper turned out to be a major flop on Monday after cons ditched the bash over fears it could destroy their hard man image. <laughs> Insiders claim the inmates at the notorious Glasgow Nick swerved the jolly amid concerns their street cred could be tarnished <laughs> among criminal associates. <laughs> a-, a prison source revealed Tam O'Shanter. It was more like Bam O'Shanter looking nice. at the crowd that attended Monday's do. <laughs> if underworld connections on the outside, new prisoners were reciting poetry... Holding hands for old Lang Syne and singing folk music, they'd be a laughingstock. <laughs> it's understood that fewer than 20 cons checked out of their cells for a tartan themed party complete with iron brew and shortbread. As Source said, the bash has been the talk of the steamy. <laughs> the steamy? I can't, I can't, that's brilliant that they call the laundry the steamy. The bash has been the talk of the steamy for weeks. However, most of the cons, including murderers and ruthless gangsters, avoid the event. It's seen as a brutal stain on their street, kid. Maintaining a hard man image is more important than escaping their cells for a song and a dance. Uh, The (laughs) Scottish Prison Service last night defended the bash and insisted it is important to mark significant events. A spokesperson said, we work hard to support the health and wellbeing of all those in our care, including the events such as these, which celebrate important dates in the cultural calendar. Uh, It comes after... The Sun exclusively revealed last month that jailed paedophiles at Barlinny were treated to a Christmas (laughs) sing-song and then got selection boxes to take back to their cells. I'm not laughing at that, but there's something funny about giving pedos a selection box to take back to their cells. It's the sing-song. You better watch out. (laughs) Young girl, okay uh Critics blasted the Lively Talent show-style party um, and presents for sickos, who signed up for music classes at the Berlinine. An insider said, Christmas is mainly for children, so the fact that paedophiles and rapists were singing songs about this time of year just doesn't sit right. And I think that's a valid point. Um, now, it's a burn supper. I thought it's a it's a cultural thing, but they're saying they don't want to be a laughing stock. It's not like they're going to like a line dancing event or uh, or something like that. It's a burn supper. Surely you'd think it'd be a nice treat to get some like haggis and iron brew and shortbread and stuff, and you know celebrate your cultural heritage rather than sitting in your cell wanking off yeah. to Linda Lusardi on your wall. Maybe they're- <laughs> maybe they're turning up at the
1: burn supper with a
0: sharpened toothbrush
1: in their sock instead of a. Ski and do.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I would mean, actually, yeah, that'd go quite well. I don't know. Is it okay to laugh about stuff like that? I suppose it is. But yeah, maybe if they'd heard about Cosmo's burn supper, then mm. they would uh, have wanted to attend. Because yeah, um, obviously that would maybe make them. It was, um, was a belter. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a wonderful event. Uh, but yeah, I can see the where they might think they've lost street head, street head, street cred with them. Um, holding hands and singing "Old Lang Syne together. Maybe that's a, a little bit. But then it's a bonding experience, surely. It's nice. Yeah, I don't think they really want to bond with each other, though. They <laughs> like-
1: uh, prisoners, I think they just most of them just want to keep their head down and get the fuck
0: out of there. I've been re watching Oz, mate. I think uh, there's a few that do want to bond with each other. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't know what uh, what next is planned for the prisoners at Barlinny, maybe a little Easter egg hunt or something. Um, they can shove well, like that new story. I, I was so gutted that that wasn't Scottish about the, the man that had kinder eggs up his bum. Oh. <laughs> um, so
1: maybe, maybe they'll
0: be doing that in the prison f- for Easter eggs, but uh, we'll wait and see. But that's the update from Barl. Uh, yeah. So, what else have you seen this week, Greg?
1: So, well, my next one and it is a news story, but it's uh, the Daily Record. Obviously, looking to fill a bit of um, column space We're on the 29th of January, I have got the feature eight hilarious jokes that you have to be Scottish to understand. So, I'm going to tell you that mm. I'm going to tell you the jokes, and we'll be interested to see because uh, we've got a few international listeners. It'll be interested to see uh, what they make of these jokes. Oh, just. Punched my microphone nearby accident. Um, so number one, they're all mercifully short. Uh, number one, a Glasgow woman goes to the dentist and settles down in the chair. Comfy? asks the dentist. Govan, she replies. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: yeah, I think I've heard that one before. Yeah, I think i have probably heard all these before.
1: Uh, number two, how many Spanish men does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that one. Very it's good. A good one. <laughs> Did you hear about the lonely prisoner? He was in his cell. In the cell, yep. I don't, I don't think I've heard that <laughs> yeah. one. That's good. Uh, number four, after telling his pal that he's due to get married, he reveals he'll be wearing a traditional kilt outfit. His friend says, and what's the tartan? And he replies, oh, she'll be wearing a white dress. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, and then uh, number five, this might be my favourite. It's definitely the most ridiculous. Uh, ten cows are standing in a field. Which one is closest <laughs> to a rack? Coup 8.
0: That's a classic. <laughs> That's a belter, yeah.
1: Yeah. Number six. A teenage girl on a night out finds herself unable to get home. So she phones her dad and says can you come and get me? I've missed the last bus and it's pouring with rain. Okay, says her dad. Where are you ringing from? The girl replies from the top of my head right down to my knickers. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and then the, the last one, which is it the last one? Oh no, the second to last one, uh, which is a bit of a <laughs> this one's a wee bit. I don't know if you I don't know if they, this one got passed, if the editors looked over this, but number seven is, what did the Siamese twins from Dundee call their, call their autobiography? Who are Willy? <laughs> 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 uh, bear in mind that uh, the Siamese cats were cut out of the remake of Lady and the Shramp. <laughs> um, a <laughs> um, uh, number eight, uh, last one. A man takes a pair of so- a pair of shoes, back to the shop and complains that there is a lace missing. No, argues the assistant. Look at that! It says Taiwan.
0: Okay, yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Have you got so? Do you have a particular favourite sort of Scottish joke that uh, we can tell on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, my favourite Scottish joke that we can tell on the podcast. I- I'm surprised this wasn't on the list, actually, because it is a classic Scottish joke. And it's um, the- a woman walks into a bakery and points at one of the baked goods and says to the baker, is that a donut or a meringue? And the baker replies, no, you're right enough. It's a donut.
1: <laughs> Psst, I, d- I do like a really corny joke. I've got to be honest. Maybe it's the it's the, it's the the dad in me. But I do like a, I do like a really silly joke. I think it's just age as well, mate. You're getting older, a so bit, if, you
0: know yeah. you can appreciate just a, a little, a little corny joke. Do you have any favourite Scottish jokes that you can tell on the podcast? Um, <laughs> <I
1: don't, laughs> I've got. I <to, laughs> do, mate. It right. It's not necessarily a Scottish joke, but it's maybe my. Fate. I, I can't tell it. I'm not going to tell it because it's. <laughs> I can't tell it. You have to cut that out. No, I don't really have a. I'm, I'm not very good at remembering jokes. You
0: know, yeah, I mean, I definitely. I can't. I can't tell my favorite joke of all time on the podcast because yeah, it gets banned.
1: Um, I do remember the kid. T- I remember a kid telling me a joke at school when I was like really young, maybe like pff, nine or ten. And honestly, it, it made me laugh literally for hours. And it's such a silly joke, but he said to, I, you know, like sometimes at school you would get sat next to somebody that you didn't know. Or somebody that you only knew a little bit, you know, especially if you were in yeah. like different class. if you if you came out of your normal class for like maths or English or whatever. Um and I was sitting next to this kid called Lee Rooney and he said he said, to me, do you want to hear a joke? And I said, Yeah, yeah, because I used to like telling my dad jokes. My, my dad loved a joke. And he said, What do you call a rabbit with a bent dick? And I said I said, <laughs> I don't know. And he said, Fuck's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, honestly, like, the, re- the, the rest of the lesson, I was just, like, in bits. And because I... I he must have told that joke about a hundred <laughs> times, I'm sure, before he got around telling me the joke. But because I just couldn't stop laughing, he started. He could, couldn't stop laughing either. We both were absolutely bollocked by the maths teacher, Mrs. Law. Because we just... It, honestly, like she was bollocking us and I was still laughing. I couldn't help it. Just making her angrier and angrier. <laughs> I've
0: never heard that joke before.
1: That's brilliant. <laughs> know, f- fuck's funny. But, <laughs> but the thing was, the thing was, he said it, in kind of Bugs Bunny's voice, which just heightened it. Fuck's funny. <laughs> it just <laughs> killed me.
0: <laughs> so, oh, very good.
1: I don't know what he's doing now, Lee Rooney. I hope he's has uh, gone on to maybe he's writing jokes for Michael McIntyre
0: or somebody like that. I'd like to think of him doing something like that. Maybe he's writing articles for the Daily Record and uh, <laughs> posting about the eight jokes you need to be Scottish to understand. Who knows? Anyway,
1: that's uh, that was my uh, That story this week. What's your, what's your next one?
0: Uh, So my second story this week comes from Edinburgh Live this week, and it is the parcel company Every. Um, Parcel companies get such a bad reputation in the UK, I think. Like, they're always reading about stuff, and they're just an absolute joke by all accounts. But this is Every, and they are sorry as Edinburgh Mum's parcel was left by Ben in local park. Uh, so, uh, an Edinburgh mum was surprised to discover that a postal delivery service had decided that a bin in a public park was an appropriately safe space to leave her parcel. The parcel, which was delivered by uh, Every, was left standing against a bin by Pilrig Park in the east side of Edinburgh, with the courier's own picture confirmation <laughs> of delivery showing that it had been left by the bin. <laughs> like, that's just fucking so cheeky. Uh, the mum said that this is the second time that an every courier has left a parcel in the same spot, leaving her having to search the park on two separate occasions. By the time she'd walked to the spot where the parcel was left, it had already disappeared. There's a fucking shot. And there's a picture of uh, to say that the parcel has been delivered and a photo of it lying next to the bin. In the delivery confirmation, which uh, shared with Edinburgh Live, the message from every states that the parcel has been delivered to a secure location at the delivery address with an attached picture clearly showing it has been fat left by the bin in a park. (laughs) A spokesman for Every said, our ambition is that every customer's experience is a positive one. We have apologised to the customer and offered her a gesture of goodwill. What are they going to offer her as a gesture of goodwill? Uh, This was an isolated mistake. Well, it's not because it's the second time it's happened. Uh, From the courier who has been spoken to. Edinburgh Live understands that the mistake happened because the courier was unfamiliar with the property. And uh, and also because it was dark. And they were unsure if they could drive through the park, which had a number on the gatepost. So, that just sounds like excuses. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, shoddy parcel delivery and being left by a bin in a park. Have you ever had a parcel delivered somewhere or picked up? No, yeah, we get parcel. Stolen a parcel? (laughs) We've never stolen a parcel.
1: But, yeah, we get stuff delivered here. Generally speaking, it's fine. I have stopped getting food delivered because, one, it's... Like, when I, mean, I say food, I mean, like, a sort of takeaway, a like takeout delivered. Because one, it's yeah. never very good. You know, I can, nine out of ten times, I can probably make something nicer myself. Mm. And two, like, they always phone. Instead of just coming to the door, they phone, right? And I remember, yeah. I was fucking doing my nut about it one night. And Paula said to me, well, maybe they're phoning in case, they might think, you know, in just case there's a baby in the house or something. They don't ring the doorbell. And I was like, well, okay. I said, well, that's fair enough. You know, if they're coming at night, they might, you know. We to, to, if you got a little kid in the house, um, but then when my daughter gets something ordered and they fucking phoned during the day, so I, went out, I was like, mm. "Why are you phoning?" And he's like, "Oh, uh, I've got your parcel." And I said, "Well, just I've, I've got your order. Well, just ring the fucking doorbell," <laughs> which is a real, which is a really first world problem, um, and it doesn't. I I'm not really painting myself in a very good light by telling that story, to be honest. But my mum, uh, she lives in a, in the old headmaster's house in a wee village in the northeast of Scotland, and. If they, they've got like quite a big driveway and my stepdad will shut the gates if they're not going out and all the cars are in, but they're not locked. And uh, my mum my mum's mm. always getting, they just like throw the parcel over the wall. <laughs> um, she orders stuff from like Next or, or whatever she's ordering from like nine out of ten times. They just like fling it over the wall into the garden, which drives my mum fucking
0: potty. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, yeah, that's got to be annoying yeah.
1: if that's happened, yeah.
0: That's really got to be annoying. Instead of just trying the gate, you know what I mean, to see if it's open. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be the logical thing to do. But no, it's just laziness. But then I guess, in a way, as well, you have to think that these drivers, like I have read articles, they get paid like absolute peanuts. They get, yeah, they get they, they get are, paid by
1: they get paid per parcel, don't they? So yeah. the more they deliver, so the more they, they just they want pay. this. Yeah. yeah.
0: So if he's wasting ten minutes like searching for the location or searching for the gates, then he just this like, oh, fuck it, that'll do. Yeah. Uh, then it's delivered. Here's your photo. It's been delivered. Right. Next <laughs> yeah. one. So I
1: mean, that's pretty specialist yeah. though. Just leaving it next to a
0: bed in a park. Well. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit, and yeah, it's no surprise that the parcel was gone. When yeah. She- Went to collect it because well, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Isn't
1: Does it, it say what it was that she ordered? It doesn't know. Mm. It doesn't say interested um, interested
0: to know why why are you interested to know what she's been ordering
1: oh well, I'm just inter- well because I'm just I'm just wondering the, 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 the person who the, the person who's who like lifted the parcel I'm just wondering if they were going to be pleased or disappointed when they opened it and see what
0: that's all yeah but it depends on the person that picked it up and yeah, it, yeah depends there's too many parameters well, that's to true, yeah. like if she's if she's ordered sex toys or something and then it's a I don't know a kid that's picked it up then I don't know actually I don't know where I'm going down with that Um. so <laughs> yeah Mine goes straight to sex toys. (laughs) It's a woman. She must
1: be ordering a vibrator.
0: I don't know why. It's like instantly. I think this this podcast has corrupted my mind too much that I just instantly think about wanking delivery drivers (laughs) or... People ordering sex toys. <laughs> what was the one we did? to The guy that ordered was it Halloween decorations, and he got blow up dolls got instead. Blow up sex though, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: he claimed that he was. He claimed that it was. Uh, it was Halloween decorations that he had ordered, but I, we, you, and I thought that he'd, he'd opened it in front of his husband, and or his husband had yeah. walked in as he was opening it, and he had to come up with an elaborate story, which he, then he ended up finding himself in the sun telling a massive lie to the nation. <laughs> Just to <laughs> just to just
0: to protect his relationship. Oh, never mind. Oh well. <laughs> uh, anyway, have you seen anything else this week, Greg? Is that your your last? Story?
1: Yeah, that's all I've got. Um, there was a bit. There was a bit of an unusual story about Alex Salmond, who apparently is now going to be a, a talk show host on Turkish television. Um, he was a. It was previously a, a chat show host on Russian television. Uh, that was uh, in the news a year or two ago. That he's gone to. He's gone to Turkey to. I, mean, I met Alex Salmon once uh, funnily enough it was when the Pope uh, visited Scotland which the last time the Pope came to Scotland which I think was around 2009 maybe and I was working for a restaurant mm. at the time and we were flying on uh, Prince's Street in Edinburgh and oh, maybe 2010 and um, the person I was flying with Alex Salmon was wandering around at the top of Prince's Street and my friend wanted to take a picture he said go and ask if you can get a picture taken and he'd take a picture with me and uh, Mr Salmon, but he uh, the impression I got of him is that he, he sort of enjoys what celebrity he has. And if he's, if he's got to go to Russia or Turkey to capitalise on it now that he's the from the SNP,
0: then he will. Yeah, it seems a strange gig, but I guess, I don't know, it's... Bit of cash in his hipper, I suppose, and if he's doing something that he enjoys, I'd imagine he'd make quite a good talk show host. But yeah, I maybe I don't know. Just don't know. odd thing to do, odd place to go. I thought he'd be better off like a like a little local radio show or something rather than go to Turkey. <laughs> like who's he chatting to? Well,
1: his first his, his first guest <laughs> is uh, uh, is one of our favourite actors, Brian Cox, who apparently him and Mister Salmon are very good friends. Alex Salmon said that every time he speaks to Brian, he always learns something. So there you go. Hmm.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: Enough. Uh, wow. Somewhat unrelated. You know how, like, when you get a message on your phone, it comes up on your home screen, right? Regardless of whether it's mm-hmm. on one of the socials, whatever. Well, the way that Twitter is, because I've got I've got the Swally Twitter account, and I've got my I've got a personal Twitter account. So it, mm-hmm. the message on the home screen has to tell me which Twitter account it's notifying me about. So it mm-hmm. it's telling me about every time I see it, because it says at SwallyPods. For a split second, I think, oh, we've been copied in a message or someone's messaging us or something like that or tweeting us. So the one that's just came up says at Swally Pods, and it's Douglas Central. And I, for a, the, a split second, you know how quickly your mind can process something? I thought, <laughs> Dougie's mentioning it. I must have, like, seen an old tweet when we've copied him in something, when we, maybe we were doing Shetland or something, or Orphans. But the, my, the, the arse fell out my trousers as well because it says... This is sickening and heartbreaking. And for a second, I thought he was responding to something that we tweeted about him. And then I remembered that it was just my phone's way of telling me which account it's notifying me about. I so the, last, the last thing we want to do is upset Dougie Henschel
0: You know? No, no, you don't want to upset him. Definitely not. We don't want to upset anyone no. on this podcast, um, apart from um, Nick. Nicholas Rossi. <laughs> Nicholas Rossi. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a very quick update for you uh, relating to—I think it was on our E Fruity episode. In fact, it was on our Tootie Fruity episode. Remember, I had a, a story about a drug dealer called Ethan Elite. Oh yeah, who sent basically to his whole phone book telling them that he had uh, cocaine and heroin. Uh, so yeah, he was um, sentenced this week. He got four years nine months. Oh, dear me. <laughs> So, not such a happy ending for Ethan, but at least he'll have a couple of burn suppers to look forward to in prison. Yeah,
1: interested if his inmates consider him to be elite
0: with his uh, HMP Grampian. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, uh, it's very rare that we can do a little update on previous news stories, so I'm just glad to be able to share that. Um, Okay, so if you've seen anything in the news you'd like us to cover, or if you've just got any funny news stories you want to send us, or if you've got anything you'd like us to cover on the Swally, you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Insta at cultureswallypod, or on x Formerly was Twitter, at SwallyPod, which Greg has just mentioned a few times. So, right, before we go into what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsor. And our sponsor is, of course, Doric Skateboards, a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and the culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland, and to create designs that reflect life in that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand, And they have produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox-inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto clothing, on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies, sweatshirts, and you can also fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, and caps. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure that he brings the latest designs to the market, but always with a Doric twist, including the Ballater toy shop design, inspired by Scotland the What, which we actually need to cover quite soon, Greg. So check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on doricskateboards.com, and you can follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see all the amazing designs on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast all you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com have a look at all the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies and tees on offer and enter the promo code Swally. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y same as the name of this podcast and get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com link in the description of this episode. Okay Greg, so it was your choice this episode. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about on the Swally today? Well, we would normally save
1: the scarier films for our Halloween Spectacular in August, but... uh I thought I would pick this one um, mainly because it's got an actress in it that I know that you and I both enjoy on the screen, uh, the lovely Florence Pugh. Um, So I chose the Netflix movie from 2018, Malevolent, starring the aforementioned uh, Florence Pugh and uh, the wonderful James Cosmo, although he's not in it enough, uh, Celia Imre, some other actors um, who I can't remember their names. I've not written them down for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the the film tells a story of siblings, American siblings, Jackson and Angela, who run a a profitable ghost-busting racket, swindling uh, the bereaved with fake detection equipment and uh, Angela's paranormal visions. They're hired to investigate a haunted old foster home by uh, the fantastic Celia Imre, where the team uncover its terrifying past. So... uh, uh, we have. I know that you hadn't seen this because you told me on the last episodes uh, when I told you what my choice is going to be. I hadn't seen it either. What were your initial impressions of uh, Malevolent? Malevolent? B- malevolent.
0: I'll save you here slightly. It also stars Ben Lloyd-Hughes as Jackson, mm. Scott Chambers as Elliot, and Georgina Bevan as Beth. Okay, thank you. And of course, as you mentioned. And in a in a... Cameo kind of appearance, Stephen McCall. As <laughs> yeah. well. Need to give him a shout out. Um yeah, first time I'd seen it. Probably not the type of film I would watch. I don't know, because I think it looked like a bit of a, a budgety, crappy horror. Um I do like horror films though, mm. but it's, I kind of find I'm watching less and less nowadays because things don't scare me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I've, I don't think I've ever really seen I think we've discussed this before. Like, I like a horror film, but I, I think I prefer more of a creepy kind of film. And I think that's why I prefer probably something like Inside Number Nine or, you know, Tales of the Unexpected. Than yeah. Something out. But then I don't mind, like, I quite enjoyed the Terrifier films, but they're like a bit too over the top. As well, but you know, uh, this it was okay. Like it had some good ideas. Yeah. But by the time it gets to the climax, it's just a bit scary. A bit scary. Like it wasn't scary. Um, like some of the atmosphere setting is good, and and there are some like kind of genuinely creepy scenes to begin with that you are a little bit invested in, and it's kind of subtle. But then it just loses its way, and it's too much of a mix of of two films. It's kind of a a paranormal thriller kind of film to begin with, and then it turns into Hostel towards the end. I mean, spoiler alert, obviously, if no one's seen it. Um, you know, it turns into like a bit of a gory torture porn kind of film, which I, I don't know. It's it's like, pick a lane. I'll come back on later to the setting of 1986. What was the fucking point of that? Yep. Uh, I, and another couple of points. What's the fucking point of the American accents? Anyway, um, overall, I didn't, I didn't hate it. But I think the reason I didn't hate it was because of Florence Pugh, mm. who, I mean, I can get this out of the way, I, this is peak Florence Pugh for me. This is when she was genuinely just so beautiful. Um, and she still is beautiful, but I've gone off for a little bit now. Um, but this is when she was like, really lovely. But she's also a fantastic actress and she does really kind of take you in. And, and you know something, she doesn't say a huge amount in this film, but she delivers a great performance through her facial expressions and through her acting and i think she saves this along with Celia Emery who i mean we'll talk about later but she is just brilliant in this as well it was okay wasn't amazing um what did you think so
1: for, as i've got older like you know you and i will all, often mention the things that we sort of bonded over when we were younger and we in sort of early years of our friendship and things and i know that one of the things that we both absolutely loved were slasher films, but particularly like Mm. uh, Friday the 13th, Mm -hmm. you know, Halloween to a much lesser extent, the first one, maybe the second Mm. one. But as I've got older, I've become a bit more squeamish, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah, so I don't, you know, I, I do like a Scary film, not a film like I don't, you know, like I, I, I'm, I, perhaps I'm too dead inside, but I don't. A film does. I've never been really frightened by a film since I was a little boy. Um, but I, I hmm. like a film that I feel is sort of really trying to create an atmosphere, maybe give you a little, a little jump scare uh, here or there. You know, I, 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 I like a jump scare. You know what I mean? I do like one. And um, this starts really in a really, really sort of promising way in that regard. Yeah. You know, they yeah. the little the little moment just before the opening sort of title comes up when she when uh, Florence's character, uh Angela thinks that she's looking at a mannequin um mm-hmm. and it turn, and it moves and she you know and she 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 passes out. I thought, right, we are on for a fucking belter. Here. um yeah. and like you I was left a little bit sort of disappointed by it. I don't think it doesn't really um you know you it does have some good moments that you mentioned and it's got a good cast um for the most part but it doesn't really uh it, it doesn't really do what I hoped it would do you know I wanted something atmospheric and and creepy and you know they this I'll just say now before we spoil it but too much of the film we're going to spoil the film, so if you haven't seen it, you can watch it on Netflix. But the, the, the sort of twist that comes a little way, sort of around halfway through the film, I saw it, I kind of saw it coming a mile away, you know? Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know, I think, um, had I been the director, whose name is Olaf Defleur Fleur Johansson, uh, which is an amazing name, I might have not sort of sh- shot my bolt in that until a bit later on. You know, I think, you know, letting the cat out of the bag that early, and that's what it sort of ruins it a bit because it becomes exactly that like you said. It becomes a bit of a sort of hostily-type film, but with ghosts. Mm. <laughs> but I know, and I think it, if it wasn't for the fact that, for, uh, that uh, Florence Pugh is the lead and, you know, she's a formidable actor, I think I would have, I would have really probably struggled to get to the end, I think, you know? Because like, she's the only character in it that I really cared about. And I don't know if that's because yeah. I just like Florence Pugh or if she... Made me care about Angela. I suspect it's probably the former, because <laughs> I like Florence Pugh. You know, I, I, as as we said, um, had, you know, like uh, Ben Lloyd Hughes, who plays the older brother Jackson, who's a sort of scam artist, who's the kind of the instigator of this fake sort of paranormal investigations thing that they're doing. He's he's, he's, he's thoroughly Dislikable, You know, yeah. thoroughly dislikable and you know the. They sort of try to redeem him a little bit toward the end, but it's kind of, it's Mm. sort of too late by then,
0: you know? Yeah, I'd agree with you. There was only, there was three characters I cared about in this film that I was kind of invested in, and they were Angela, played by Florence Pugh. I agree, I, I didn't give a shit about any of the rest of the other main cast. Obviously her grandfather, played by James Cosmo, because it's Cosmo. So of course I cared about him, and then Barney the dog, um, Cosmo's dog. So that was yeah. the only three characters that I actually really cared about. in this. I like Barney. Yeah, he's a good, bo- a good boy. He was a good boy. Um, I think you you really touched upon a really good point there. Where I agree. When I first started watching this, I thought, okay, I'm in. Right? It's Glasgow. It's 1986. Mm. Florence Pugh. This is going to be good. And then they go to a house and. Stephen McCall is there and you're like this is great there's you realize that they're kind of ghost hunters and then you quickly realize that they're actually scam artists and you're thinking this uh, this this is good I like this Mm. and then you get the jump scare uh with the the mannequin and it turns into you know his dead wife and you're like fuck okay right I'm in and then a title card and then it all goes downhill well actually no it goes downhill after (laughs) you kind of see Cosmo um (laughs) But even then, you know, you see her at university and as she's speaking to her tutor, you know, she kind of sees uh, the door going and then you you just see a hand coming in. And I did like that to begin with. You only see little bits and pieces of kind of these visions that she's seeing. And then obviously you find out about her mum who was in a mental hospital and had this gift as well. And you're thinking, okay, this is good. I'm I'm quite enjoying this. But yeah, then it starts to kind of rapidly go downhill a little bit. First of all, let's speak about why did they set this in 1980? sick, Because well, I don't. I I took
1: it as being because the book is this based on a book called uh, Hush by uh, Try mm. Not to Destroy This Eva Constantinopolis Constantinopolis. Um, and I and I I just assumed that well, maybe the book was set there and maybe there's a reason. Maybe she went to university in Glasgow in the eighties or something and that's why she wanted to set it there. Um but you're right, there's there's no rhyme or reason. Like it, it it's got nothing to do with the plot, other than there's some vaguely 80s music in it. And even I'm not, I'm not even sure that the way that the characters are dressed are particularly period either.
0: Nope. I have got written down, like, there's nothing about um, 1986 in their clothes at all. Like, it, yeah. it's more, it's more now or 1996 or yeah. when it was filmed. Like, it just doesn't, like, I, in 1986 like, for example, Florence Pugh spends a lot of the time in that, like, black and white stripy jumper mm-hmm. and jeans and DMs. She wouldn't be wearing that in 1986. Like, I don't think.
1: Well, I mean, I, maybe I, I, maybe, you know. maybe she would, but there's not, but it's, it's not like, it's not like atypical of what girls you know war then you know if they wanted to do if they wanted to be uh authentic she would have like a feather cut and espadrilles or you know or whatever
0: I'm, I'm not saying she'd be dressed like mary the punk from eastenders but <laughs> i'm just saying that like i don't know it just felt the clothing was a little bit inauthentic like even the, the elliot like he's wearing a t-shirt and i just it didn't feel and and the other girl um whose name i've completely be- forgotten beth, now beth uh, beth yeah. beth like the clothing she was wearing it just didn't feel like 86 the nightclub they were in didn't feel like 86 yeah. it felt like 96 yeah. and you're right apart from the music the only thing that felt 80s to me were the cars that they were in the driving.
1: old Volvo yeah the Volvo estate yeah, yeah. and maybe like maybe uh, like the headphones that uh, that the, he's got on yeah that, what's his name Elliot's got on when he's uh, working the Jackson ja- not Jackson the other, what's the Elliot the wee camera guy he's got like a an old set of headphones on when he's filming hasn't he
0: uh, I thought you meant uh, Jackson with his Walkman oh yeah yeah to use, yeah. is self-help tapes course, which yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just, it, it, it just felt a bit shoehorned in for me like it just didn't seem to make sense. I
1: wondered if this film has maybe been quite heavily edited because it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly mm. you know it's a fairly swally centric 90 minutes you know and, and if you're going to make a Scottish film the best way to get us to cover it is if you make it ninety minutes long, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wondered if maybe it been if it had been maybe cut a bit because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really go anywhere. Um, like the whole 80s thing, as you've mentioned, has got no bearing whatsoever on the story. The whole thing, get you know, sort of moving on a bit. So what happens in the film? Angela Jackson and Cole go to this creepy house because uh, Celia Emily's character Mrs Green says that the ghosts of these little girls that went missing when she ran it as an orphanage um, are crying and screaming in the night, keeping her awake because her son was found to have murdered three of these little girls. Um, then big Shock twist! It turns out that she was in on it as well, and then the son is just there. So if everybody knows that the son is the murderer, why is he fucking cutting around the house? And so that oh, that isn't explained either. You know what I mean? I I took it before I saw the twist come, and I thought, oh well, the son must be in jail or he's or he's he's dead or something. And no, he's just he just turns up uh, in the third act with a shovel hmm. and a really nice coat. <laughs> <that> I liked. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that struck me as a little bit odd. Now, I don't, I, uh, yeah, I genuinely don't understand this and I I kind of want to, yeah, discuss this mm-hmm. with you. So, Mrs. Green, Celia Emery's character. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as you've explained, there's a lot that's unexplained here. In fact, let's, if I can go back a second, why the fuck are they American? Well, that's Why yeah. are why have you cast Florence Pugh and Ben Lloyd-Hughes both are English actors and have them doing American accents it adds nothing to the plot make them speak with their English accents and then Cosmo can just say you know your mum fucked off to England yeah. and it saves you having to do an American accent which just took me out of the film a little bit as and well, there's, because there's there's a few points I knew
1: they were both English there's a few points as well where they clearly forget that they're supposed to be doing American accents yes. <laughs> and yes, the director obviously hasn't noticed <laughs> But yeah, especially in the be- in the, right in the beginning, because I did think at one point, are they supposed to be American? You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, and again, maybe there's maybe there's a bit more to that that they decided that we didn't need to know. You know, I maybe just wanted to it was in a hurry just to get to the ghosts. So
0: as so Mrs. Green calls them to get rid of these girls whose screaming is, is driving her crazy. Yeah. And again, it's never explained. She has a flyer mm-hmm. from them, which Elliot had only produced like the day before. Yeah. And even Jackson's like, Where did you get that? And that's, that's never explained where she got this from. Now, did Mrs. Green, because this left genuinely left me confused, did she actually hire them to get rid of the ghosty girls because they were doing her head in? Or did she hire them because she knew they were fakers? to get them there to kill them. Because that's never explained or logically maintained. Because she actually seems quite worried when they go to the east wing, yeah. and when Elliot falls through the floor, because obviously she knows that's where Herman had killed the girls mm. and Herman's must be hiding out there yeah. somewhere, I presume. Because she does seem quite panicked. Like, why, why are they going there? So has she actually hired them to get rid of the girls? Or, I, I, I don't know. It's never explained.
1: I mean, I, I took it as... She did hire them because she thought, she, she thought that she could get rid of them. They could get rid of the ghosts. Mm. And then there is a point where she seems to realise this lot are at it. You know, like mm. when when uh, Jackson's sort of settling her down on the sofa and everything and telling her how it's going to be. And she's like, just sort of calls him out on what he's saying. You know, at first about Angela sweeping the house and all this kind of thing. And then there was a moment when she sort of seems to say, you know, this is just a... Something. This is a charade, or this is this is all fake, or something like that, isn't it? And then he sort. It seems like he sort of convinces her to give them another, to let them give them another chance. And then there's that moment when he realizes that uh, this there's something wrong with this woman, you know. And he's like, mm. you know, we're going to get out of here. And he goes to try and find everybody.
0: Yeah, I'm all plugged mm-hmm. in up here. So, can I ask how this is all going to work exactly? Yeah, sure. First, Angela's gonna do a sweep of the house. That may take some time, but once she establishes a connection and. Jackson. Mm hmm. Is this your usual routine for all your clients? It's not up yet, Elliot. Stop the showmanship. I don't know which of the wives you were in.
1: Um, so I thought, you know, I thought maybe that was that was that was sort of made sense to me as much as a, a film like this can make sense. Um, but yeah, I think I think probably there's a bit more. I feel like it's probably a bit more exposition in this that's been kind of sort of cut out in a in a haste in a haste to get to the the sort of scary bits, the dramatic bits.
0: So they are effectively they are scamming people to begin with because they are I think effectively going on their mother's reputation mm-hmm. because she had this gift yeah that she could that drove her effectively see dead people. Yeah. Um which she started went to as as Cosmo says, you know, she went to America, started a business, then went mental, heard these voices in her head and killed herself. And they're kind of using that to to pretend to be like ghosty hunters. But as it turns out, Angela has this gift as well and starts seeing ghosts for real. And as it turns out towards the end, Jackson also has a little touch of of this too. So I thought that was... (sighs) That was okay, and I thought that was quite well done in terms of the subtle build-up of okay, Angela is actually does have this gift, and and it's not all a load of bollocks. But and obviously, I, I felt for the girls that she's seeing, and you know, felt for Angela. But again, it just felt a little bit like I'm, I'm glad this was only an hour and thirty minutes, twenty eight <laughs> minutes long. But it also felt, as you said, I think it's been heavily edited because it did feel a bit rushed yeah. in places that could have done with a a little bit more expansion of of certain plot parts like that storyline. Like I would have liked to maybe seen a little bit more of that develop and and a little bit more explanation. Mm-hmm. And I would have been quite happy if that was just the the plot of the film. Yeah. Rather than as you say, having this manic Herman come in with his shovel <laughs> yeah, and his nice peacoat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's nice being be cooked um, just basically being like Lurch from the Addams family just like roaming around with a shovel and whacking people over the head with it yeah I don't know it just it just felt a bit of a mishmash and a bit it, it missed quite a few points in places I thought
1: I mean it's weird because you know the beginning of the film is them loading up the car you know and not a great deal of dialogue there and then the next and then and we see them all right and then the next scene was the group arriving at uh, Stephen McCall's, and he's Recently widowed, he's got his little girl, who's maybe six or seven, and for some reason we see everything for a couple of minutes from like her perspective. So she's obviously wee. So all you see is like, people, like the waists and the sort of the kind of disembodied voices of the characters and. Her perspective of it all, and it feels like, and there's a couple of bits later on as well, particularly when the wheels have fallen off when they're in the house after Elliot's fallen through the floor, and kind of just before and just after, where it's it's almost there's little moments that are almost like a kind of found footage sort of film, mm-hmm. you know, um, the like a kind of like a paranormal activity or a Blair Witch Project or something, but it, it's not really used to any effect, you know, they mm-hmm. they. they when Elliot falls through the floor, the cameras sort of hanging, it's sort of swinging, it's sort of caught in the floorboard, so it's swinging um, and it's panning round the, the room that he's fallen into. But like, in, in better hands, we might see something a bit kind of creepy in the corner or, but it might make mm. us think, oh, what do we see there? You know, wind it back, whatever, but we don't see anything. We just see Elliot fucking, we just hear Elliot, bloody, r- roaring and greeting because he's fallen through the floor and um and just like sort of dark corners of a room. Yeah, it's, and, and the thing is as well, for, for Florence Pugh, this was the same Year that she did The Outlaw King, you know, so mm. she's she's sort of I think that like Johansson's kind of want to watch a little bit in terms of getting her in this because you know her stars starting to rise around about this time, yeah. You know, they that the, the Outlaw King, I know it was it was just done for Netflix, but it was a big production, and uh, you know, they a, a year or two later he, he wouldn't have got her, I'm sure he'd have got the rest of them, um, but he, he wouldn't have got her, and then you know, like, she... It's its sort of difficult... It's difficult to root for them at all because of what they're doing. You know, they're sort of exploiting people's grief. And I'm not sure it was, like, a wise... You know, if, if they wanted you to have any empathy for these characters, I'm not sure... Establishing them with a scene about them exploiting like a fairly young guy and his daughter who have who have just lost a mother because you know they Steve McCall he's you know, he's only in it for a little while as you said it's it's. Maybe just a little bit north of a cameo But he's, you know, he's earning his money And, you know, you, you know you, he, he's good as somebody who's just lost his wife at a f- relatively young age And his, and his comfort comforting his daughter So how are you supposed to have any empathy for this group of people Who are knowingly, including Angela, uh, knowingly exploiting uh, uh, people's grief You know what I mean? It's just it's, you, you just, it's difficult to care too much about them Is she,
0: is she there? Can she see him? It's an auditory gift. She's gone. She's at peace. There it is. There it is. Maddie has left the house. Oh fuck it up, Jackson. You could just pay Beth and uh, I have to check on my sister now this. This really takes a toll on their powers. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, of course. Now, I had this in my notes, but although it's a scam and they are conning people, are they actually helping people at the same time? If you take Frank, Stephen McCall's character, and daughter, for example, they're traumatised and upset. You know, they've just lost their their wife and and mum. And for some reason or other, they're convinced that her spirit is still in the house. Mm -hmm. Now, they've come round and said, oh, and she's gone. Yeah. And that gives them relief and kind of okay she's gone. But she's not gone is she
1: because we see her she fucking, she makes Florence Pugh fucking shit her little tight jeans (laughs) so she's still there
0: Yeah, she is, but then maybe they'll stop hearing her because they're convinced that she's no longer there, if you know
1: what I mean. I know, but it's going to the extent of getting Beth to record and mix in sort of spooky voices that they play and Mm. all that kind of thing, you know, I mean, it's, and and there's no, there's no sort of well-meaning in particularly the way that Jackson is about it. And he's sort of the ringleader. I guess Angela's, you know, we're supposed to take her as a sort of reluctant participant in it, but she still
0: participates in it. Yeah, she she does to begin with, yeah. but then she once she starts seeing them for real, yeah. um, she basically says she doesn't want to do it anymore to Jackson and she hangs up on mrs green to begin with and it's only when jackson gets in trouble with the drug dealers and says that he owes a shitload of money and basically tries to convince her that she agrees to do it mm. and you kind of get the impression that she's like okay i'll do this one and then that's kind of it but as you say she is reluctant but you're right she is still going along with it but she's doing it for her brother because they have that whole speech about how they're you know yeah. they only really have the two of them left yeah apart from Cosmo. And Elliot. Um you know, so I think they they have um yeah, she is kind of going along with it, but reluctantly to a certain extent. Yeah, I suppose. Um but um yeah, I don't know. I just think,
1: you know, Beth, she doesn't have a great deal to do as a character. You know, there's like a there's like no. there's the sort of germ of a dramatic scene when she's packing her bags because Jackson's just come back with a sore face from the drug dealers. And then that's sort of it. We don't really see it again until she's flying through the the windscreen of
0: the Volvo. And hey, that was the best, you know, one of the best things he did. And I thought that was actually pretty well done. Yeah. In terms of that, because you didn't see her go through the windscreen. Yeah. You just see the car crash, then you see Jackson sitting there and then you see there's a hole in the windscreen and then he gets out of the car and runs and you're like... And then when you see her body, you're like, holy shit. Like, wow. I I thought that was actually pretty cleverly done for this film. It was well done,
1: but it sort of leads me to another fairly pointless part of the story. So there's a gardener who works there. Mm. There's no effort whatsoever to establish this gardener, really. There's a moment when he, there's a moment when he sort of strides past uh, Jackson in a corridor. Then the next time we see him, Jackson's just hit him with a car, and he's lying dead mm. on the road. Why the fuck would we care about this? You know, <laughs> you know if 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 you got him to go for a piss and you came back and you didn't see that scene with the gardener striding past Jackson, and then the next time you saw him, he was lying broken on the road after they've just hit him with a Volvo
0: estate, you'd be like, who the fuck's that guy? You know. I watched this twice. Um... So I watched it first time, I think, on Wednesday night, and, um, I, Watched it again on Friday um, to make my notes. And I have to admit, when I was watching it on Wednesday for the first time, it was one of those, like, I did occasionally pick up my phone a few times right. <laughs> to check messages or see what was going on. So when they hit the gardener, I had missed him letting them in, and I'd kind of missed that scene with him and Jackson, mm-hmm. where he walks past and Jackson gives the finger, because they are both blinking, you'll miss it, yeah. kind of scenes. Yeah. So when they hit him, I did think, who the fuck's he? <laughs> like... <laughs> Like they just hit some random old guy. Wasn't well, on the secondary. I was like, oh fuck, it's the gardener they hit. Mm. Um, I thought. I mean, yeah. Because it, it, obviously Jackson sees a little girl in the road, and he intentionally goes to hit her. And then it's not until he hits her that discover that it was actually the gardener. Yeah. So he was just obviously poor lad. I. Yeah. tending something in the grounds and gets squat with the car but then that's what causes them to then crash which then causes obviously beth to go through the windscreen um and then herman to come out with his shovel now i have a question about that as well why given the fact that herman has a, a penchant for killing little girls mm-hmm. why is it jackson that he takes back to the house first why doesn't he take angela like beth's already yeah. dead but why doesn't he take Angela back? Yeah. Um, un- unless unless he thinks she's dead. Maybe. But he whacks Jackson with a shovel, takes Ellie out of the car, whacks him with a shovel, and then takes Jackson back. But I, I, that didn't make sense to me. Well,
1: is he not sort of like the instrument of his mother's madness? You know, because we, we, we sort of get the impression later on that the reason these little girls have been killed is because Mrs. Green is fucking as mad as a box of frogs and she wanted them to be quiet because we're always whispering around the house. And I wondered if maybe he'd been should we, he'd been told to bring Jackson back first because they didn't like him <laughs> because he tried to scam her.
0: That, that makes actually... that Now you've mentioned that, that makes a lot of sense to me. You're right, because... I I did have that point in terms of that it was Mrs. Green that was kind of behind things because she was pissed off with little girls. And it probably was in terms of get, the mouthy one, because he's always talking. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, because she does a few points, kind of say, "Does this work with normal people, or, or don't give me this kind of your normal pattern?" Yeah. So you're right. That that actually now makes a lot of sense to me. Did you, in terms of why Herman? Did you spot? Did you spot the actor
1: who played Herman? So um, I didn't actually. Niall Greg Fulton from uh, Let Us Pray, who played the mad doctor in Let Us Pray.
0: Ah, okay. Mm. Ah. Oh, well, wonderful. He's
1: got a very, oh, he's got a very, uh, I that. he's got a good actor's face, I think, now Greg Fulton, you know, he's especially, yeah. playing a, he's got that sort of slightly craggy sort of severe uh, face that I think lends it quite well to sort of, well, the two things I've seen him in. So, like I said before, this film, like the synopsis of this film is right up my street, right? You know, when I read the synopsis, I thought, I'm, I'm, Game for this, right? And the reason is because it reminded me that when I was a kid, there was a lot of um, drama programs and children's television that were quite creepy and not, you know, in some in some respects, some of them not that far away from the synopsis to this film in a very loose way. So it's led me to prepare a game. Oh, <laughs> okay. love a game! So I'm going to read you this like a brief synopsis of either. Uh, 1970s slash 1980s British children's television show or a horror film and I want you to tell me whether you think it's a a horror film or a or a 1970s 1980s children's television show all right okay great yeah I am in. let's go okay so the first one a man and his girlfriend rescue and adopt his brother's daughters who have lived in the jungle for years but the couple soon find that a shadowy feminine feminine figure has latched on to their new family. Do you think that's uh kids a TV show from of children's television from the past or do you think that's a horror film? I'm going to go with a uh, kids TV show. It doesn't ring a bell to me. This is actually that's actually a horror film called Ma- oh, okay. called Mama. Um right. Next one is uh Lucy goes to live with her distant cousins uh after her mother has passed away and uh oh sorry, after her parents have passed away. Um She goes to live with some distant cousins um, in an old Victorian house. In the house, she befriends the ghost of a Victorian child who decides that the best way to keep Lucy as her playmate forever is to kill her. Horror film or children's television show? That's definitely a children's television show. Correct. That's the television show Come Back Lucy from 1978 that was on ITV. Um, so it starts with it starts off with Lucy at the funeral of her elderly auntie, who's raised her, um, because her parents have previously died. Um, Jesus, yeah. And she goes to live with the distant cousins, befriends uh, Alice. Um, okay, the next one then, uh, not a synopsis as such, uh, but the story is about a skeletal birdman with knife-like fingers who could turn people into gunge. You think that character's in a horror film or a TV show for kids from the 70s or 80s?
0: Uh, I mean, I'm thinking Knife Like Fingers. It's obviously a horror film, but then you've mentioned Gunge, which is that, just a staple of children's television. That's just, that's just my word. It's not necessarily anything. Okay, so it's not like Double Dare no, with all the Gunge or, or, or Fun Get Your Own Back. Fun house. Um, I'm going to go with a horror film for that.
1: <laughs> this is actually... The Look and Reads Educational BBC program called "Through the Dragon's Eye." Wow. <laughs> Which I remember doing at school Because we used to get books And we'd watch an episode There was another one called uh, Dark Towers Which you may remember Which had a sort of uh, The ghost of a spectral night in it Okay, one very final one Well, one second to the last one, rather um, <laughs> D- Dahlia hopes to start life afresh with her daughter But haunting visions and eerie noises begin to daunt her She must now find out whether the sounds are real Or if it's all in her head Okay, I'll go with horror film for that. Yes, it's uh, Dark Water, um from 2005. Uh, mm. okay. Um okay. I've another one here. I think it's uh, Oh yes. Um a young boy called uh, Matthew uh, Willoughby Goes to live in the quaint English village of Milbury. and here we there. And he be- begins to learn the terrible truth of the village and its puppet-like inhabitants, with a cursed painting, a dark conspiracy, an evil magus, and an eerie choral soundtrack. <laughs> it's a horror film. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's a kids' TV show. Yeah. by the description, it's 1977's *Children of the Stones*, which I remember, yeah. which I remember seeing repeated when I was about four, and being absolutely fucking terrified of it. <laughs> But the thing is like I've because of the wonder of YouTube it's led me to go back and look at a couple of these things again just to see if uh, they still had the power that they had when I was a little boy and obviously they don't because I'm a middle-aged man but they're still quite affecting you know do you know what I mean yeah um oh yeah I can imagine yeah so that's that's kind of it's kind of what I was hoping for For this, because you know, you and I have mentioned in the pod before. You mentioned it earlier on. You're a big fan. We're both fans of Inside Number Nine, which is for people who live overseas may not have seen it. Like a brilliant anthology TV show that has a like a different sort of story every week, and sometimes it can be like an out and out horror. Sometimes it's like a thriller. Sometimes it's there's always like a fair bit of comedy in it. But there is sort of it's kind of reminiscent of the old sort of Amicus anthology films like Asylum, for example, you know, they, they, they're very they're heavily influenced by that. And I really hoped that there might be a little bit of uh, sort of old, creepy British horror in, in this film. And there's just not really... A few
0: good moments, but... Yeah, I was actually... I was flicking through... In fact, it was actually on Wednesday night after I finished watching this and I turned on to the, the TV and uh, uh, on one of the channels was showing a couple of episodes of Inside Number 9. Oh, right. So I ended up watching those um which I'm going to go back and revisit the whole series because it's just an absolute joy. Um my favorite episode of that is I can't remember the name of it now, but it's it's the one where um Shearsmith finds a shoe outside and just spends the whole episode obsessed with a shoe and trying <laughs> to find the owner. And he puts up posters and stuff about the shoe, (laughs) wondering where the the second shoe is and stuff. And it's, it's just a wonderful, and the reveal at the end is just absolutely phenomenal. Anyway. We're not talking about inside online we're talking about malevolent. Um, Elliot, the character Elliot. He's a likeable enough guy. I maybe didn't like him because he was trying to fire into Florence and, you know, obviously got a bit jealous there. Elliot, he's a nice guy, he means well, but come on, he breaks his ankle, he survives a car crash, Herman hits him with a shovel. He then, when he comes in to try and save the day, rather than just fucking whack Herman and Mrs. Green... He announces that he's in the room, giving them a chance to get a step up on him. Fair play. He does take care of Herman. (laughs) But then he goes to untie Angela rather than, why don't you just take care of Mrs. Green whilst you're at it? Because she's cradling Herman. So she's like vulnerable. Give her a whack and then you can untie Angela and leave. But no... So of course, Mrs. Green gets the the bum's rush on him, hits him four times with a fucking meat cleaver or hacksaw. It's quite unclear because yeah. it, it looks like a meat cleaver in one scene, and then it, the next bit it's like a hacksaw. Yeah. And he survives all of this. And then when he's in hospital, he's just has a little cut in his nose and, <laughs> and a broken hit, leg. A stookie on his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: he's like the Jewy of uh, of malevolent, you know, like in the scream films. Yeah. The officer Jewy gets fucking stabbed, shot, stabbed,
0: stabbed, and always seems to come back with a bit of a limp for the next film but like you'd you'd be fucked Like, like she really goes with him at that with that cleaver or knife whatever it is and like when he rolls on his back she hacks into him like he's fucked but somehow he's okay and that's what again took me out a little bit just got a tiny little cut in his nose you know
1: yeah I know. I mean, I'm surprised that he survived. To be honest, um, I thought that I thought his tea was it when um, when uh, Mrs. Green set about him there with whatever it was she set about him with. But yeah, it's weird because I the, the sort of choices and who to kill off and who to save. I thought probably she would be the this the sole survivor because yeah. because the thing is as well, unusually there is a bit of a, there's a little bit of of like story after the sort of climax of the film. You know, like you've you've mentioned, Elliot getting tanned with whatever he gets tanned with, and then uh, Angela, without hesitation, sticks a knife through Mrs. Green's throat and seems quite quite comfortable with what she's just done. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah, yeah. you know, there's they like she's done it a hundred times. And then that you mentioned, there's a scene in we get the scene in the hospital and. Cosmo gets a few more lines, although we, we don't get to see him, it's just a voice on the phone. Um, you know, like, I thought what might have made the film a bit more powerful is if it ended with her crying at the side of the road after realising that Jackson was dead and he's now a ghost wandering up and down that sort of road looking for Beth. You know, that's that would be a good ending. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like the kind of Wicker Man ending. Do you know what I mean? There's It's, it's just like, it just ends in like total tragedy, but it feels like there has to be a bit of, we need to know a little bit more about what happens to them afterward.
0: I'm going to slightly disagree with you on that point. And it's not often that we do, yeah. but I quite liked the ending. I really liked, I, I, I'll agree with you on this point. I really liked when she saw Jackson mm. walking down the road and he turns around and he's got no injuries and yeah. he says, I'm just looking for Beth. And she realizes, ah, oh, fuck, like, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. Obviously, he's, he's a ghost, and I really liked that. And I agree that might have been a good ending. Mm-hmm. However, I actually liked the. I could have maybe done with like the bit in the hospital with her seeing Elliot. Although it was funny because he just had a scratch in his nose <laughs> and and obviously a, a broken leg. But it gave us a couple of more lines from Cosmo. Yep, which is which is always good. always good. But I did like the very end when. He said, you know, you can't be alone right now and she said, I'm not alone and then this dark shadow kind of appears over her. And you don't know who that is. Is it Jackson? Is it her mum? Is it ghosts that have died in the hospital? Probably. But I actually quite liked that as a final line mm. and an end to the film. Okay. I can see your point though. Yeah. But I quite liked it.
1: I don't know. I like a I, I like a devastating ending, um, if it's if it's if it's done well, <laughs> you know, and that it has some potential.
0: But um yeah, you want Jason coming out of the water or yeah. Carrie's hand coming out of the grave, that's what you want for an end. Yeah, of a, just, just some, a film, isn't it? Or yeah, just, Freddy's glove coming and taking the mum through the fucking small window, but it's obviously a fucking blow up sex doll <laughs> yeah. that's being dragged through the window.
1: Yeah. Or like, you know, this sort of Statue of Liberty on the beach at the end of Planet the Apes or Edward's uh, Woodward like crying out for the god that's deserted them as a Burns in the Wicker Man, and there's just there's no redemption. But anyway, they fucked it. <laughs> so Florence Pugh, I'm looking at her filmography on Wikipedia. So not her TV filmography, but her film her film filmography. Not a, not a lot of. Like parts really And I know she's like a young actor But she goes from So she does a little short film after this Then she's into She does Fighting With My Family Which I think probably made her Fair to say Because it was quite successful um, Yeah, The same year Midsummer comes out Which is a film that I'll never watch again not because i didn't like it just because it i couldn't stop thinking about it for fucking days afterwards
0: love that film Vic- it's absolutely love that film but i agree i don't know if i have a desire to no. watch it again <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> so good it's not it's not a rewatchable uh definitely
1: not and then and then she's in uh, little woman um, the Greta Gerwig version that came out um, in 2019. I think that's what made her. To be honest, I think it's like
0: fighting with my family was a bit of a hit. Yeah. But I think Little Women. I think she got quite a lot of acclaim for that. Um, and Midsummer as well. I think that, like, fighting with my family did give her a leg up. Yeah. But because I'd never really heard of her. It's a great film. It's a great film. Fighting my
1: family. It's yeah, such a good film.
0: It is. It's it's fantastic. And I, um, I mean, I was not attached to it. Like do you know what I mean? But I was kind of invested because I am a wrestling fan. And I, I followed Paige's career from her starting in NXT to her debut on the main roster. And I met Paige when I went to New York for SummerSlam. I... Had a conversation with her, I've got her autograph. Like I I really like Paige. So when that film came out, I was really invested in it. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really heard of Florence Pugh, I don't think, by that point. Um and I thought she did a fantastic job. Yeah. And then she's gone on, obviously. But I think it was Little Woman in Midsummer that kind of really catapulted her. I mean like she's flying. Um they like, that's a like four
1: Five years ago, she's got March. She's got like a Marvel uh, credit under her belt in the Black Widow film. Mm. That don't worry, that don't worry, darling. The one with uh, Harry Styles in it, which i have not seen, but yeah. apparently it wasn't as uh, as good as it was anticipated to be. It got big, got panned a bit. No, she was in Oppenheimer last year, which I've still not seen. Not really that mm. huge rush to watch it, to be honest. But um, I no, I, I, mean I will not. end up watching it eventually. Um, and she's in um, the second uh, June film, which uh i have seen the first one probably not in a hurry to see the second one to be honest i know our mutual friend uh was quite excited about oppenheimer and the first part of june um didn't really do it for me if i'm being honest but uh but yeah she's got a a big part in the second one so
0: yeah i watched the first june i am i won't be watching the second one i can guarantee that (laughs) um as i've said i think she's a really good actress i really like her um Yes, I, yes, I fancy her, but <laughs> I, I, I really do like her and think she's, uh, she is really good. And like I say, she kind of saves this film in a way. Oh, um, massively. With who we haven't really spoken much about, Celia Imre. Yes, who kind of a national treasure in a way. Celia Emery in terms of a British national treasure not a Scottish national treasure does a fucking great Scottish accent again it fucking weirded me out though that you have English people doing American accents you have an English person doing a Scottish accent the only person that's himself in this film is fucking Cosmo and it's because he's Cosmo and And I'm coming back to Cosmo because I have a question about Cosmo later on Cosmo
1: doesn't compromise that's why
0: Cosmo doesn't compromise exactly (laughs) you
1: fucking get tanned out the window if you're paying
0: paying for Cosmo you get Cosmo (laughs) um Celia Emery is... Uh, ah, she's just wonderful. You know, I remember her from, you know, Dinner Ladies. Acorn um, e- you know, e- Antiques. Victoria yeah. and Yes. Um, you know, uh, a stable of that. And she's just one of those actresses that pops up in everything. And she's probably most well-known for comedy, like, mm. you know, Calendar Girls. And I think she's in... it's in Bridget Jones, I think. And I think she's in... She must be in, like, the Richard Curtis film. I'm sure yeah. she's in, like, Four Weddings and Notting Hill or something in, like, maybe a, a small role, but probably more known for her comedic kind of talents, but she's great in this as well. Like a really fucking sinister evil cat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's got the mark on Jackson and and the group. And yeah, she's really good. She's got a great episode of Still Game. Oh, of course. Yeah, a really good episode of Still Game. I forgot about that. I forgot all about that. Yes, she does. Oh yeah. We'll go back and watch that. But yeah, shout out to Celia Yeah, I don't know if you've got anything more to say. Yeah, no,
1: she's... Yeah, I mean, she's... I'm just looking because I thought there's something that's on... I've seen it advertised quite a lot. Uh, I thought she was going to be in it. It's one about some Lulus in it. And as far as I can tell from the advert. It's like a sky film and she these women find this what they think is old whiskey or something and they drink it and it makes them young again. Um but she's not she's not in it. But Lulu's in it. <laughs> so maybe we can cover it sometime haven't seen Lulu doing any acting for a while, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, if you look at me, she's been, she's been on the go for fucking... I mean, I'm scrolling down her IMDB. She's been on the go since 1971, like, like working. Mm. She was in, like, the original Upstairs Downstairs in the mid-70s, you know? So she's been absolutely grinding it out, like... Her whole life, and she's in all the favourites. Like she's got, she's got eight episodes of Bergerac. Obviously, Highlander. She's in Highlander. She plays. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, she plays Taggart's uh, Taggart. She plays the uh, uh, Macleods first. Fiance, I guess, until she turns against them and mm. she thinks think he's a devil. Um, she's got an episode of Taggart, of course. Um, Victoria Woods. Oranges are not the only fruit, which I know was a was a big was a big uh, sort of sensation when it came out in the early nineties. Uh, the Darling Buds
0: of May. Volk
1: <laughs> She's fucking just in everything. Uh, but yeah. yeah, she's
0: great in this. Been in so much stuff. Mm. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, and and not not in a chewing up the scenery sort of way either. Yeah, like it's very much a. Kind of a composed, yeah. She's performance solid. Could it? have gone over the top, yeah. But yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed her performance in this. And as I say, apart from Florence Pete and Cosmo, like probably the best thing about this film.
1: Yeah, I mean, even like uh, Niall Greg Fulton. Although he doesn't have any lines, but he's got great presence <laughs> as uh, as Herman. You yeah, know, like we'd, yeah, we'd, true. we don't. You know, it's only we only really see him in focus in the sort of torture room. Um, but you know, like when. When he's pulling Elliot out the car and all that, and you know what I mean, he's 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 good. Like he's he's really good at it. I think it's just we don't see much of him. Um, of course, we should give like a mention to uh, Ian Vladimir Milne and a uns. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, he's got probably one of the most evocative faces I've seen after John Byrne. You know what I mean? He's like, he just looks like somebody who holds up the bar and you don't annoy <laughs> your local. Um, <laughs> you know, I think he's been acting for very long, but he's uh, he's he's good as a drug dealer, even though he doesn't speak. And um, of course, um, should I have written their name down here: Catherine Howden as the nurse who, mm. who who doesn't speak mm. but has appears in everything <laughs> um, yeah uh, in one capacity or another. I mean like, you know I think the the, the, the film's sort of crushed by Pew, McCall, Cosmo. Although Cosmo uh, Emory I don't think there's nothing particularly original about the plot of the film. You know, I'm sure we've seen shades of it in hundreds of other things that we've seen over the years. Yeah. That's right. Really, not I'm not taking anything away from the synopsis of it because it's what drew me to it. It's right up my street. But uh, I think it feels a little sort of independent filmy. I'm um, yeah. surprised that uh, Netflix put. Uh, that Netflix have kind of kind of bought it. To be honest, uh, maybe they bought it. They may, may have bought it because they bought the Outlaw King and they liked
0: Florence Pugh. Maybe I don't know. I mean, this is kind of in the early days, though, of Netflix productions, though, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah. So it was, it was kind of they were dipping their toe in the water, probably trying things. It's a horror film; they're always successful. Yeah, Florence Pugh's up and coming. Let's give this a try. Yeah. So
1: well, that might have been the reason they did that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm wondering if they liked her in Outlaw King, and they saw that she was in this, and thought, oh, she's a good actress. Let's uh, let's let's pick this up as well, maybe. I mean, what what have been in terms of Netflix films? Because so this was 2018, um, like. A year later, Scorsese would release his the first film that he'd done in a long time on Netflix, like The Irishman, um, and like obviously House of Cards. As far as Netflix TV series go, was their sort of first step in that direction. Was mm. you know what what what's been like a huge Netflix film that's been like important apart from The Irishman? Uh, uh, you're asking
0: now. There have been a few. I mean, the most recent one is The Killer. Yeah, that's a good film as well. The Killer, it's really good actually. I st- still haven't seen yes. it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I might watch it later. I don't it's know. A good one. Ah, uh, there's been a couple. I mean, Outlaw King was was pretty big. I think. Yeah. The Killer. I mean, I don't know. In terms of films, yeah, The Irishman probably is the one that you would you would think about. I don't know. I wish I wish I knew you were going to ask that question. I could have researched it. <laughs> but there have been a few. Obviously there's a lot of T V shows. Yeah, tons I mean, of TV shows. You no, know, you know, Stranger Things yeah. and stuff and House of Cars. Which links back to this with the Nosebleeds and yeah, you know, House of Cars, Squid Squid Game and you know yeah. there's been l- hundreds of TV shows, but films, it's a good point. I mean, I think, yeah, The Irishman, the Killer, uh Cat Thing. Uh, th- there have been a few. There was there was that one I mean, it's not really big, but it was the one with um uh, uh, DiCaprio and oh, uh, Lawrence. Woman, I, I hate that end of the uh, Don't look up. Hey, that's a fucking really good film. Did you watch it? Yeah, I I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, really. I, I watched it despite my. Fucking hatred of Jennifer Lawrence, but I watched it and I I enjoyed it. I don't know why you don't. She was okay. I don't know it. why
1: don't like her. I, I've seen her being interviewed. I
0: don't know. Either. And she, I do not know either. She
1: seems like this. I I don't know. She seems like she's got a really good sense of humor. Um, you know,
0: and she's quite self depreciating. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. I just I just can't stand her. Um, Angela has the gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Her brother has the gift. Uh He finds out too late. Their mother. Their mother had the gift. Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Does Cosmo have the gift?
1: I mean, it depends. I mean, Cosmo's got many gifts. But um...
0: Follow up to this. (laughs) Follow up to this. Is that the reason that Cosmo's drinking and putting whiskey in his coffee and swigging out the bottle (laughs) to try and dull his powers? Or is it because he's traumatized at what has happened to his daughter and the way stuff's worked out, or is it just because he's a Scottish pensioner? It was a nonsense. Locking herself away for years. Talking about voices in her her head. Nosebleeds. Talking about people that, that weren't there. And then she has to go and end it. Your mother was afraid. Is she here?
1: more strength? She's stupid. I think if Cosmo had the gift and he was drinking to numb it, potentially it would have made the film much more interesting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If it turned out to be a, a sort of family trait, that would have been a nice little uh, plot turn, I think. I mean, these sort of parts. These are these sort of parts of Cosmo's bread and butter. You know, you can do these sort of, you can do these parts in his sleep,
0: right? He, I mean, he must have. Was it the same year? T two. I need to check. Was it? Yeah, it was the same year. He basically just did the same role in T two. Effectively, I think T two was the year before. I think. I think
1: it was the year before. But yeah, I was thinking of that. You know, because there's that great little moment when in T two when he meets you uh, McGregor at the top of the stairs and they sort of embrace and the sort of shadow of uh, his wife. Um, on the mm. wall when he's sitting at the table and stuff that's a really fucking it's really and like I know we're not talking about T2 but that shot in the film because it's shot from the same mm-hmm. angle as in Train Spotting with the mum and dad at the table to have the shadow mm. of her it's fucking really really powerful I mean that Danny yeah. Danny Boyle's just a fucking an absolute fucking brilliant uh, filmmaker. Um, it's such a subtle
0: thing, yeah. that happens, and it is kind of that. I can guarantee a lot of the audience missed that, yeah. and but it's so beautifully done. I think it's, I, it's amazing. And I,
1: th- I think as well, like when you've lost somebody, like a parent or someone incredibly close to you, there's something about that. It's it sort of. It, that scene takes on even more significance, I think. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um It's yeah,
0: it's very very good. But T uh, oh, T a fucking great film. You know, someone I really like T 2 Yeah,
1: it gets better the more you watch it. I think. Yeah,
0: I I've, quite fancy watching that again. I think I've watched it. But I agree. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that was good. And then I think the second time, I was like, actually, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then we watched it again, doing it for the Swally, and I've, I've, yeah. I really enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it when I watched it for the for the swally. and I and I went in sort of thinking, oh, you know, this isn't my favourite, um, but you know, it was well, it was on it was high in my list after we watched it for the podcast. Um, mm. But yeah, I think you know, I think getting someone like Cosmo, even like you know, the sort of long hair. Do you think he grew his hair out for the for the part?
0: <laughs> I think he just didn't give a fuck <laughs> It was maybe for. Um, like, ah, uh, it was probably for
1: his Swords and Sandals film. <laughs> yeah, it's probably. Okay, it's, yeah. yeah. He's come off a set of Troy or something and he had hair down his arse and he was like, I'll just cut it up to my shoulders and then I'll look like a like an old Jakey granddad.
0: <laughs> and don't worry, me asking if Cosmo has the gift um, was not a, a way for me to shoehorn in doing like a Cosmo seance episode or anything like that. Like, um, Mrs. Cosmo, Barbara Rafferty. <laughs> yeah. Alex Norton round the table, holding hands, trying to summon the ghost of Gerard Kelly. <laughs> 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 like, don't worry. I wasn't thinking about that. So sorry, listeners, that's all you're getting on that. But <laughs> right. maybe maybe for Halloween. <laughs> I could I could sort of see
1: Cosmo sort of pouring cold water and on that kind of thing. I, do, I, I, do, I, do, I don't think it's getting got any time for that. You know, I think Cosmo's very much uh, when you're deed, you're deed, and that's it. <laughs>
0: You know what pissed me off the most about this film? Like it really fucking annoyed me. (laughs) Is you mentioned earlier uh, the scene where Beth is kind of hurriedly packing a bag because she's going to leave Jackson. And we're in Jackson's room and he's got all these film posters up, kind of, or uh, music posters. And he's got a dartboard on his wall. That dartboard has never seen a dart in his entire life (laughs) because it looked it had three darts stuck in it, but all the rest of the board was completely untouched. Like that that dartboard (laughs) is never seen. They've set dressed that, stuck those three darts in that place, and that's it. That's the only three holes in that board. And for some reason, that really fucking annoyed me.
1: So Jackson is alive in 1986. He's got financial problems. He's at university with other university students, so you have to assume there's a degree of intelligence there. Why the fuck did he not just go on bullseye? He could have been practicing his darts. (laughs) (laughs) He could have been. He could have been the thrower. We really practice these darts. He could have got one of these clever pals. Like I can see Elliot being pretty good at general knowledge. You know, Elliot goes on and answers the questions. Jackson, Jackson uh, throws the darts for the categories. Fucking fifty. It's fifty pounds a correct answer.
0: Fifty pounds, Nicky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can just see Jim Bowen. Like so. So, so Elliot and Jackson, what, what, what do you do? Oh, we're ghost hunters. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> ghost hunters. Are yeah, no. you
1: having a laugh? <laughs> I did see Jimbo in an episode of Bullseye the other week, um, roasting this woman who was talking about a diet that she'd been on and she was a bit overweight and she's fucking, it's like, sort of roasting him. I was like, oh,
0: oh, I'm surprised they left that one in. <laughs> Oh dear! I think overall we're kind of like it's okay if you've got an hour and twenty eight minutes to spare, give it a watch. It's worth it for Florence Pugh. Yeah, it, it you know she is great. Um,
1: there are a couple of good little scary moments, like the one we mentioned with the mannequin when mm. when she has having a dream about her mum and stuff. You know they're all they're all quite good moments, but I think it's it's one for the Pugh fans. I would say you know.
0: Uh, Okay, uh, yeah, let's stick it through the awards Uh, What have we got?
1: Okay, well our first award as always uh, is the Bobby the Barman Award for the Best Pub There's only
0: one pub, and it's a nightclub that looked like it was 1996, not 86. Well, do do you know
1: what? I'm going to take you there when we're in Glasgow, because that is nice and sleazy at the bottom of Suckey Hall
0: Street, and it's a pub. Ah, It's a pub and live music venue. It's not a nightclub. You know, we're only in Glasgow for one day, Greg, and we're fitting a lot in. Like, the time we get there, it'll probably be about midday, like maybe 11 o'clock. Yeah and you're wanting to do a tenant's lager tour, yep. we need to have a coffee with um, Ali from Scotts and we need to... You're going to take me to Sleazy's, so <laughs> we've got a lot to fit in, and we'll have a fucking six-foot-four grumpy lump with <laughs> us who <laughs> be having to drag around. <laughs> fucking Herman.
1: <laughs> Hello. Shut up, Herman. Uh, <laughs> all right, moving swiftly on. Uh, so then... The James Cosmo Award, for being everything Scottish, I mean,
0: it goes to Cosmo, has to. Yeah, of course. You can't give it to anything else. However, I mean with this appearance, Stephen McCall is creeping up the swally tally. Yeah. However I think, because it's named after him if Cosmo is in something, you can't give it to anyone else.
1: I've given a wee sort of acknowledgement to Catherine Howden um, because she was with Cosmo mm. in uh, Get Juked as well, if you remember she played uh, one, of the, yes. one of the farmer's friends in the barn. and They're all listening to the tape. The next one then, so I've got two for this, the Jake McQuillan Your Tea zoot Award. What did you go for?
0: Um, I went with Angela sticking the screwdriver into Mrs. Green. I went with that for my Tea zoot Award. What about you? Uh, Well,
1: I've got two. I've written uh, Herman Plunged. (laughs) That's when Elliot um, uh, plunges Herman. I've also got Beth going through the windscreen, because that was quite unexpected, and a good advert for seatbelts. Uh, the 1980s. That's very true.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very true.
1: The next one then is the Ewan McGregor award the McGregor award for gratuitous nudity. Sadly, well. Um, oh. <laughs> <coughs> I'll cut that out. But there's a uh, yeah, there's no there's no nudity in um in this film. Um nope. moving on then, the Francis Begbie award for gratuitous swearing. It's not the sweariest film. There's a couple of f's and
0: Jeff's. Um Yeah, there's a couple, but the one that I appreciated the most and I found the best use of swearing and made me laugh is Elliot's gone through the floor and Angela gets down there and looks at his ankle and she says it's fucked."
1: <laughs> yeah, so I've written that down uh, but I've also got a, <laughs> I've also got a get the fuck away yeah, I was lot of it, but yeah, I did like that. It's fucked. It's always good when people say it's fucked. Yeah. It's just such. Yeah. It's just such a good. Uh, it's just such a good descriptive word. Um, so the next one, I'm ashamed to say, I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything on unless that I would say <laughs> on a podcast for archetypal Scottish moment. But there's... Unfortunately,
0: there's nothing overtly Scottish, I don't think, about this film. Cosmo smugging from a bottle of whiskey was literally the most Scottish thing I could find. Like, there's nothing. There's hardly anything that is archetypally Scottish or that we would say so... Cosmo we having a bit of whiskey in his coffee in the morning Being a Scottish pensioner um, yep. That's all I could come up with The criminally insane being
1: at liberty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Potentially <Maybe>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright and then The last award then The, the Big Tam Award Sean Connery Award for me, it's Pew because she's the only reason that I sort of hung in there. I think, to be honest, I think if I had watched this not, if I started watching this and it wasn't for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have got to the end of it. If I had got to the end of it, it would be because of because of Florence Pew, not because she's lovely, um, but just because she's you know she sort of holds the whole thing up. I
0: agree with you, Florence Pew. It's her film. She wins it. It's, it is a great performance and she's great. And like I say, it's not just because I think she's lovely. It is, she's she's good mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, she's there. Yeah, she's very good. It's a good. mediocre film. Mm. It's a mediocre film, but she delivers a really good performance. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, if we hadn't been doing this for the pod, I'd... I don't know. I think I probably would have finished it because by the time it started going a bit shit, you're kind of like, oh, I'm halfway through yeah. now. Might as well wait and see what happens. See if Cosmo comes back. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'll I'll watch it for that. Barney the dog. Let's see. Um so I might have watched it to the end, probably, just to find out what was happening. But what would have been a
1: great Yeah. What, what would have been a great ending was if like Elliot if like Jackson's been carried away to the shed. Elliot and Angela are tied to chairs. You know, it's like, what's good? Like, there's no escape. And then Cosmo and Barney appear. So Barney goes for Herman's boss. Cosmo gets Emily by the hair, fucking gives her a couple of Cosmo specials. Fucking <laughs> frees Angela, frees fucking pissy pants Elliot, and uh, drives away in the Volvo. That'd be fucking brilliant.
0: Listening to DJ Beatroot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. oh, was only 1986. Sorry, it's too early for a DJ beat route. Uh, yeah, you're right. That would have been. It did cross my mind That would have been a fantastic end. if Cosmo had <laughs> come in and saved the day. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Left fucking Barney's left. Herman greeting on the ground, clutching the bloody patch where his bollocks used to be. <laughs> Cos <laughs> Cosmo's got Angela over one shoulder, Elliot over the other. <laughs> Into the Volvo down the road. Credits. <laughs> Any <laughs> sorted?
0: Home in time for bullseye.
1: Yeah, home in time for bullseye and tea that's half tea, half whiskey. Right. Anyway, it's 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 not often that we do something that neither of us have enjoyed that much, but always uh, there's always. Uh, there's always- a first,
0: I suppose. Um, I think, yeah, we, we make the best of things. We did find some good points. Yeah, for it. sure. And like we say, it had a lot of promise and it could have delivered yeah. a lot more. I, I, you know, it's Cosmo's brilliant, Emorys brilliant, Pew's fantastic. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it does have some good qualities and it has some good ideas, it just fails a little bit. But There's
1: some good, like the, I say, there's, some good there's some genuinely good little moments in it as well, you know, as I yeah. mentioned. There are, yeah. yeah. And it's less than an hour and a half, so, <laughs> so- i do got an hour and a half to spare. <laughs> exactly. Get it watched. Oh, yeah. Fine, now, we'll, we'll, we'll watch any old shite if it's 90 minutes long. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was Malevolent. You can find it on Netflix. It's a Netflix exclusive. Um, although, if you live in the Middle East, evidently you won't find it on Netflix. You have to resort to other sort of dishonest means to find it. Um, but anyway, that's what it is if you want to watch it. Anyway, it was my choice, uh,
0: Malevolent. So that means that the bottle spins back to you we'll be watching for the next episode uh thanks greg so next time i'm gonna pick a tv series but don't worry it's only a two-parter okay so because i know you're going on your travels so um it's only a two hour long parts so i'm not going to make you watch too much and it's something i've wanted to do for a while on the podcast but um and i haven't seen it yet okay so i don't know how good it is however i have read the book that it's based on which was incredible. So we're going to a 2022 TV series on the next episode and I'm going to give you a cast list of Martin Compton, Tony Curran, Ashley Jensen, Stephen McCall, Elaine C. Smith and Carl McEnich as we look at the BBC adaptation of the Andrew O'Hagan novel Mayflower. Oh, I've been meaning to watch this for a long time so I'll
1: look forward to Have it. Have you read the book? I've not read the book and I'm wondering if I should maybe grab the book
0: to read my travels. I would advise you to read the book first okay. because the book is incredible and i haven't seen the tv series yet but having read the kind of synopsis i think it's Pretty close it's, it's a little bit different oh different okay. um I, no i think it's very close but i think it's i, I can't give away too okay. much right now okay um I would highly recommend you it's it's not a, a a very it's not a long book, if that makes sense. Okay. Um you could you could easily read it and, and it's only two parts, so it's only two hours the T V series. So you could watch it. And we've got like three weeks before we record the next episode, so you've got plenty of time okay. to, to read. But yes, get I highly recommend read Mayflies and then watch it. Okay. Um you won't, you won't regret it. Okay. Cool. And we can speak about it next week in Brussels. We can. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And you can follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at cultureswallypod. We're on X, formerly known as Twitter, at swallypod. And we have a wonderful website as well. Don't we, Greg? We do. You can find us at uh,
1: cultureswally.com. Um, for lots of, well not lots of, but some uh, content about <laughs> Scottish media um, And links to other socials We're working on building out the content So maybe by the time we record the next episode There'll be something new in there But come and check
0: us out regardless Yeah, that's a, great Great, cool. wonderful Right, um, I will speak to you in a minute Because as we're recording this It's 20 past 5 my time on a um, Saturday And I'm pretty certain we're going to be um, watching Gladiators in like an hour or so in texting each other. Indeed so, they are. Um, Did you see... I'll speak to you then. Did you watch that
1: little uh, Twitter thing about the British gladiator names and the stuff like... I did,
0: yeah.
1: Ripper Stepson. <laughs> I and car- it was, <laughs> Carpet burn. Something like that actually <laughs> <It's> was
0: funny. Some of them were very, very good. I did enjoy that actually. That was good. Sorry. I forgot to reply. Yeah, that did amuse me. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, okay, okay
1: then. I'll right. See you Next Thursday, as they say. Well, they say, Tuesday, but next we can say Thursday. Friday, I think. Oh it, yeah, right? it's Friday. Yeah. Oh fuck it, it work then. Yeah. It doesn't work. That's not a. Uh, yeah. Oh wait, I'll see you. I'll see you next Friday then. <laughs> yeah. See you next yeah. Friday.
0: All right. Uh, but we will see all of you listeners um two weeks on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And the next episode drops, which will be Mayflies. All right. Okay. Till next time, Greg. Till next time. You should have seen it. It's my fault. No, there's nothing you could have done. Jackson, he... I'm coming over. You can't be alone now, Angela. I'm not alone.